The Ray Hanania Show is brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News Newspaper, the Middle East's leading English language publication with print and online editions in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, France, Japan, Pakistan, England, and the United States. Listen to live radio every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern in Detroit, Washington, D.C., New York, and Ontario, Canada. Or watch the live broadcast on facebook.com forward slash Arab News. The Ray Hanania Show is rebroadcast in Chicago at 12 noon on Thursday. For more information on the radio stations, live Facebook broadcast, and podcasts, visit ArabNews.com. And now, here's your host, columnist and U.S. special correspondent for Arab News, Ray Hanania. And good afternoon, everybody. This is Ray Hanania. It's Wednesday, June 15, 2022. Um, and we are broadcasting live in Detroit on WNZK AM 690 and Washington, D.C. on WDMV AM 700. Uh, the show will be rebroadcast tomorrow on Thursday uh, in Detroit again at 7 a.m. So you get the morning and the afternoon audience here out in Detroit, which is a big audience for us with a lot of uh, American Arabs, Muslims, Chaldeans, a lot of Middle Eastern people out there. Uh, nice diversity. And then it's rebroadcast again on Thursday in Chicago at 12 noon on WNWI AM 1080, 1080 AM radio. So you can always catch it there. And of course, uh, we also broadcast uh, streaming broadcast uh, on Facebook at the Arab News Facebook page at facebook.com slash Arab News. And once the show is over, we distribute it all over all over the place i got a great show uh this morning um and then we'll uh in a few minutes we'll have our first guest illinois congresswoman marie newman who is seeking re-election in the newly drawn sixth congressional district um axios i read uh calls her the third most active freshman member of the u.s congress that's actually pretty good considering there are 435 members of Congress. She's the third most active freshman member of Congress, meaning of the new crop that came in, and a lot of them came in. Uh, she's really working hard. Segment two, we are hoping to have, and I spoke uh, uh, to the staff earlier, Fahad Nazar. He's a spokesperson for the uh, Saudi Arabian embassy. We're going to talk to him about Biden's upcoming trip to Saudi Arabia um, now, he's there already, so I'm a little concerned about making that connection with him. We want to make that connection. I'm hoping he's able to connect in, um, but it is the middle of the night over there. So it is rough doing the middle, you know, the Middle East uh, topics uh, when we do this afternoon show here in the U.S. But our audience in the afternoon in the U.S. has really grown. we got a lot of people, and with the help of Layla Al-Husseini, uh, who is the publisher? Uh, I don't know what they call a radio person. You know, the big cheese at the radio person, uh, radio uh, magnate or whatever. I'm not sure. Um, but she launched the U.S. Arab Radio Network. Um, she does her show in Detroit, uh, in Michigan, Monday through Friday in the morning uh, at 7 now a.m. Eastern and 8 a.m. Eastern. And they also do uh, 5 p.m. slot out there so it is growing it's the only uh really you know arab focused arab american focused 
uh, radio program that we have in the United States. There's some programs that only broadcast maybe a half hour, an hour, and, and they're great, but we don't have a strong enough voice, just like our news media in the American Arab community is is weak. Uh, a lot of that happened after September 11th. I know it was 20 years ago, but you know we had over 100 newspapers uh, publishing uh, monthly, twice monthly, uh, a couple of them were weekly. Um, and then when September 11th happened, almost half of them were shut down uh, because of the backlash. Even a lot of Pakistani and Indian newspapers, because a lot of Americans would see the different uh, uh, text. Uh, it looked Arabic and they would assume it was Middle Eastern and they protest and bully the stores that were distributing the uh, papers. I know I had a newspaper back then called the uh, Arab American View, and uh, it just was, geez, those six months after September 11th were just really terrible. It was very difficult to put something together. So we try to build up a voice because communications, as you know, is the most important aspect of any ethnic community. I think the health of an ethnic community is a reflection of their news media, the ethnic news media that they have. And I know we're weak, and I think because we're weak in terms of having a uh, ethnic American media in this country, um, I think it holds us back. So I, that's why I always give a plug to Layla, because she works hard to get the advertisers, to get the sponsors, to, get the, uh, to expand the program, to get people excited about the program, and uh, to make sure that they listen because we do a lot of promotion. One of the things that uh, is coming up this week is the Arab American uh, uh, Anti-Discrimination Committee Convention that starts this weekend, uh, Thursday night, Friday, and Saturday. They got a lot of great guests. And if things work out, we might be able to get one of the ADC spokespeople on, uh, Janan Shabbat, to uh, give us a preview. Um, and I'll be covering some of that, uh, uh, some of the excitement over there. So as we wait for uh, Marie to come on, she's going to be joining us. She did uh, tell me that she was just running a little late. And, you know, it's hard not to understand that she is running in the in a contested district. And uh, this is campaign season. And we are two weeks away from the June 28th election. Um, so uh, it's not a problem. And we do appreciate her taking the time to join us. In fact, now we have Marie on the line she's just getting set up hey congresswoman how are you good afternoon i'm great it's so great to see you it's really nice uh your staff has been very supportive um and uh i was just telling everybody that you were identified uh as the third most active freshman uh by axios you know and that's a big deal because there are a lot of members of congress that uh are often designated in a different way the most <laughs> absent you know, we've had some of those before, but listen, let me let me just get right into it. Uh, you were elected uh, two years ago in the third district and and you did great. I mean, you had two candidates, the incumbent who I think failed to kind of connect with the district, his own district. And uh, you had another candidate who I thought was going to take votes from you. Um, and despite that, you managed to really pull it off with a pretty sizable margin. What was what? brought that change on why why do you think you were able to unseat a congressman whose father who i know personally a great guy by the way i didn't really get along too well with the son but the father was phenomenal but they were in there for like what 28 years how did you make that change 
Yeah, so a couple things. First of all, there was three other um, candidates. It was uh, Congressman Lipinski, um, Rush Darwish, and then Charles Lu Lu uh, Hughes. So the field was four, and at one point it was five um, in, in the 2020 race. And um, I didn't mean to brush uh, reuse off. I, he, yeah. he, he really didn't have – he's a good person, I guess. They're all yeah. good candidates, but his was uh, tough. But unseating an incumbent is a big deal, especially from the same party. And uh, and having somebody that really carved into your base while you're trying to do that really made it a, you know, a tough challenge. Yet you overcame that. You know, I I think that um, I credit the district and the voters from the outset um, in my first race, which, as you know, I, I lost by two percent in 2018. And my second race, we were always the district and I were in alignment and we were running the race together. Um, so I think that that's why it was so successful. I mean, I always tell everybody, it doesn't matter where you're on the political spectrum. You just have to reflect your district and be in alignment with your district. If you don't know your district um, inside and out, it's it's very challenging to appropriately uh, represent them. I, I take I take that word representative ridiculously seriously. It's, it's not a just a word to me. It's what I live and breathe by. So um, when I say I'm gonna represent you, it means every single person will be represented. Now, you know, I've covered politics 45 years and it for the, I tried when I when I got out of the news business, um, I ran just to see what it was like and I didn't <laughs> like it. OK, you're in a fishbowl and everybody's taking pot shots at you um, and it's the focus is on the negative, the controversy, the good yeah. things you do are the ones that you have to work hard to get out. But the negative stuff flies left and right. True or not, it doesn't even matter. How do you even. Did you ever think about, you know, I'm not saying that you didn't want to be a congresswoman, but have you, have you ever had a moment where you go, wow, um, this is a lot different than what I thought. You know, it should be about fighting for, you know, uh, residents' needs and rights. And, and yet you're pushed sometimes to deal with issues that are ridiculous. Yeah. Um, well, we have been very lucky. I have an amazing staff in D.C. in the district. Um, and have amazing partners in the district. We, you know, over the last couple of years have had 500 meet and greets um, so that I continue to build relationships, understand at a very molecular level every issue. And as a result, um, I don't think there have been any, I mean, I'll tell you the insurrection was a surprise. Like I, that wasn't on my bingo card, Ray. <laughs> like, wasn't thinking about an insurrection right. when I right were you were you there by the way on uh, yeah. january 6th what I'm, tell us what happened i mean i i want i because this is your first time on the radio i wanted to do a little chit chat because i want yeah. people to see you not just as a newsmaker and a politician but as a normal person but that uh, january 6th now i have a little different view of what happened was terrible um i think sometimes it's being exploited for political reasons but tell me what happened with you what did you see and, and what happened you know, it was, uh, you know, we had been warned that there's going to be a, a significant protest and that um, maybe it wouldn't be the calmest of protests and, and that kind of thing. And um, we were told we had very specific security regimen that day. Um, so um, I followed everything very strictly. And as you know, what our business that day was to certify the election, right? And how that process works you is it, each state gets um, certified individually. Um, and so um it's a very um 
I would say I even felt the weight of the job that day. Can you imagine the first thing you do is you certify an election? That's a really right. big. And while uh, every other year that has been a very rote process and not a big deal in terms of the public, I felt the weight of it and just being my first time and my first term. So, um, you know, early in the day, we started that process doing state by state. And, you know, a few states in um, came clear that the protest outside was getting closer and closer. And then, you know, in our offices, we have um, several TVs on CNN and MSNBC and then C-SPAN, right? Um, and I remember after, I think, like the third or fourth state, you know, you've been there, right? You're walking through the tunnels. I'm walking right. back. Um, and my uh, one of my staff and a couple Secret Service guys are said, ma'am, we need to run. We need to get you really? back to And so I remember this big burly guy looking at me and said, ma'am, do you need to take off your shoes? And I said, I've been running in high heels for 30 years. I can wow. do this. So we we took off. Um, really? That's my office. And um, my goal was to keep my very new staff. Remember, I didn't know a lot of them very well. I was the third day on the job um, uh, to keep everybody calm and focused on, you know, what we were going to be doing over the next uh, several months and um, making sure, thank God there was a little bit of food in the office because we were in there for over eight hours. Um, but um, we did, we did put firm sure against the door because that was recommended um, really? and hold up. And so we were watching and. Um, so you were, you were inside. Yeah. I was oh, in my office. Wow. In, yeah. I was in Longworth and then, you know, news folks started calling me and we didn't know really what the pro we were getting a lot of information on our phones from leadership saying, you know, uh, don't talk to the press yet till we know what's going on. Blah, blah. But, you know, and then I could just see on um, the uh, television uh, that, wow, these people are climbing over banisters. And they and then when they got in to the Capitol, I was like, OK, this I think this is serious. And then you know, my my phone is going crazy and my, you know, everybody's texting me and emailing me and what have you. And um, I, I'm just telling everybody, oh, it's it's fine. It's not a big deal. They're, they'll never get, you know, right. close. Worry about it. But, We're but, all but, but as we saw some and they've charged 859 people with trespassing, about 350 of them with actual violence, destruction. I mean, some of those protesters were horrible and I and I believe every one of them should be charged. That's not the way to do a protest. You know, you want to protest, you're outside and I assume that's how it, you know, should have been. But uh, let me and let me just cut to the chase. Do you and I know this is what the January 6th committee is looking at. Do you think Donald Trump intentionally pushed them to that violence? Um, do you think that there's a strong enough case to make that argument? Or do you think, was it a reckless rhetoric that allowed their emotions to get carried away? Or do you think he never intended to do that? What do you think was his role? If those are the three options, I think the first two are the most likely that either he, because he's such a reckless human being, so very reckless and out of tune and out of reality. I mean, he just is not in touch with reality. So I think that, um, he didn't understand what his role was in the world or in that situation. We are uh, we revere our peaceful transfer of power and the fact that he um, was uh, organizing something else uh, is horrifying. Whether it was always his intent uh, for uh, to support the Oath Keepers and these people. I mean, Ray, we, what we do know is that this was a highly organized event and the, the peacekeepers and all of these uh, militia groups 
um, had practiced and organized and practiced um, military functionality, right? Um, there were weapons buried everywhere. There, you know, I mean, this is this was All a right. real, um, this was a domestic violence, domestic terrorism event. It was not a um, protest that went awry. We do know that this was domestic terrorism. There's just no other way to describe this. Though, that group that involved, I totally agree with you, that group, there were a lot of people that were outside protesting. They may have been angry, but they didn't yeah. seem to cross the line. And Yeah, I agree with that. I think there were some people that just felt uh, very angry that the one that they voted for, and that is fine. Like That's what our protests right. and our right is for, right? But it is not okay to organize a military style operation with groups that are skilled at that. I mean, that, that was just horrifying. And, you know, so as the day progressed, um, there was no point at which, and I tend to process fear a couple of days after it happens because I tend to just get really focused and keep everybody calm <laughs> during the time. So I, I didn't really quite absorb what had happened till days later when I found out the individual stories of um, my my good friends that were laying on the floor of the chamber, uh, calling their loved ones and saying goodbye. I mean, quite wow. literally. Um, wow. you know, so I, um, you know, I processed a little later. The intensity of that violence really came across, I think, from some of the media reports. And just a final thought on this thing. Do you think the committee can really make the leap between that the connecting the violence to a criminal act by the president? I mean, the fact yeah. and, and I'm separating the issue of his belief, even though everybody around him told him that it's not true, that he won the election and the votes were stolen. I view that in a way as. That's his opinion. It may be stupid. It may be unjustified. It may or may not be. But that's an opinion. Um, does that opinion constitute um, an illegal act in the context of that violence, do you think? You know, um, let me say two things. There may be evidence that supports he knew that he lost the election and articulated that. So if that evidence, in fact, comes through then there is a clear uh, violation of law. I mean, there's just no other way to kind of paint that. Now, remember, we have two processes going on at once. We have the congressional hearing process going through where they're investigating, and the DOJ is investigating as well. The DOJ is watching the congressional uh, process and absorbing the evidence there so that they can continue on. So this is this congressional uh, process um, is very functional in that it assists the DOJ process to bring it to the level where it is a um, an investigation of quite of a large magnitude. Right. So um, this is a very fruitful time um, to present evidence to the DOJ. Have you come to a decision yourself about or are you waiting to just see what's brought out more? There's more hearings coming up, obviously. Well, I think that um, once you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of evidence that's already been, been shown. If uh, if it is true that people were providing tours um, in weird places that people don't go on tours for, I mean, and, and it looks like that that is true. Um, and those people that were on those tours happened to be leaders in that violent domestic terrorism event, then yeah, my, my opinion is going to be pretty clear <laughs> that these were domestic terrorists that were intent on hurting, killing and stopping the election and taking over our democracy. It's that's there's no other way to interpret that. <laughs> we're, we're really honored uh, to have uh, Congresswoman Marie Newman, who is 
was elected two years ago from in the third congressional district district unseating a, a, a dynasty almost over there. Um, and then they redrew the map. And now she's running in the sixth district, uh, this new district that they formed, which uh, I think is a phenomenal district. Um, and but I wanted to bring you in because even in this new district, it still is one of the largest Arab American. It has the largest concentration, actually, of Palestinian Americans. Mm-hmm. And I, they're still a small part of the district. It, you know, it's like about maybe two or three percent. But the fact yeah. that you're the first person to pay attention to them was significant to me. That is so important that you didn't ignore them and you spoke to their issues. T- tell us a little bit about your approach to the Middle East. Yeah, no, uh, well, a couple things. Let me um, share a little bit about, uh, so when in Illinois 3 proper, which is the current district, it's actually about 9.5% Arab Muslim uh, South Asian Americans, primarily Arab Americans. So it's 9.5% of the district. That's a significant amount. Yeah. They, and my predecessors largely ignored them and didn't listen to their, their needs um, or their issues. Um, so, but in the new district, the new Illinois six, which is the open seat that I'm running in, um, that actually is between South Asian uh, Muslims and Arab um, Muslim Americans. It is closer to 18%. Wow. Five mosques. Um, so um, it is a very significant, um, and they vote very in a very concentrated way. Um, so um, at the end of the day, the the historical significance of this is is that there had been several things going on, which was why I run is that uh, ran is that um, immigration is very important um, to Illinois three, um, and it was largely ignored in every way uh, prior to that. And it was really important that. Um, we pay attention to that and start addressing uh, people's needs. Um, and then, you know, just economic issues and healthcare issues um, were not in alignment. Back to that whole issue of being in alignment with your district. That is, the, and it doesn't matter. Like if your district's conservative, then you should have a conservative representative. If you're if you're centrist or whatever your uh, political stripe is, you need to reflect. Um, you know, what the district is. And that was just a mismatch at the time. And um, so I think that's why I was elected. But at the end of the day, um, you know, what was even controversial, Ray, five years ago um, is not controversial now. I mean, right. uh, the the sentiment around Palestine and Israel has really gotten to be a much more um, realistic look at what the state of the situation is. Uh, you know, frequently, um, you know, years ago, people would just say, you know, Israel could do no wrong. And nobody, everybody wants Israel to be in at peace and be prosperous. I, I can't think of really anybody that wants uh, any any wrong to come to Israel. Right. But when the government um, and the military mistreat the Palestinians, that is absolutely wrong, and I will not stand for it. And humanitarian rights are humanitarian rights. And this is not about uh, religion or anything else. This is about um, treating humans uh, correctly, and that's really where this all kind of is rooted in. And, you know, I'm writing columns all the time about the Middle East. And one of the things I always point out is that when I criticize Israel, I'm criticizing Israel's government. Yeah. It's funny that we could criticize the U.S. government without being painted in some ugly way. Yeah. Um, But when you sometimes when you criticize Israel's government, some of the extremists come at you and they call you all kinds of names. Oh, is is that is this a big issue in this election for you? 
Ray, I think you know my husband is Jewish, and um, I'm called anti-Semitic um, on social media. Congress call me social anti-Semitic. It is, it is so upsetting to my husband and his family when that happens. When yeah. all and exactly what you just articulated is that I'm saying, hey Israel, you you cannot steal homes. You cannot disrupt people's lives. You cannot drag people out of their homes and take their homes away from them. No, that that wouldn't be. Uh, a, that, first of all, it's incredibly immoral. But then, secondly, you wouldn't allow that in France, and you wouldn't allow that in Canada. You wouldn't allow it in Korea. Why? Why do we let Israel? Um, and without speaking up, right. so we to criticize our ally Israel and say, "Wow, this humanitarian! You have a huge humanitarian rights violation issue here." huge and how do you navigate that because you know why i'm palestinian my wife is jewish too and it's amazing how people don't understand how you can have a view critical of a government yeah um and then to be called anti-semitic is terrible it's just uh it's mind-boggling and i i think it's reprehensible when it's used that way when I there's think- real anti-semitism out there because somebody's jewish that's terrible yeah, I mean, and look, I have been, I've worked with the ADL, I've worked in civil rights for 30 years, and I've worked on anti-Semitic issues. For me to be called an anti-Semite now uh, is infuriating and really hurtful to my husband. I mean, there, there are people um, in uh, <laughs> in politics that uh, refer to my husband as a fake Jew. I, I mean, it's, hor- it's horrible. That That's terrible. And But I do know there's some members of the Arab community that are very rigid too. I mean, I'm Arab all my life, obviously, but um, so when they when they hear you or others say, oh, I support Israel's right to exist and try to, they don't listen to the part where you say, but well, you gotta exist with human rights, you gotta exist within the law, you gotta exist fairly, and you treat civilians and people with respect. They, they get upset with you. How do you deal with that? Well, I think, honestly, like we've, because I'm so close to the community, um, they understand now that I mean that Israel should be free and be their own sovereign entity and be able to prosper <clears throat> and um, be their own nation. Um, Israel has a right to exist now too. And I want both of them to live in peace. And I think they really understand that. Um, so we, I think that you know my um, ability to understand the complexity and the ever-changing nature of what's on the ground there is um, emblematic. And I think people now trust that I um, constantly seek information and counsel um, because it is an ever-changing situation. So um, you know what we don't want is war. We're pro-peace and pro-justice. And I think the community really understands um, that that is my, my goal, is that um, you know, we, we just want freedom for the Palestinians. With the, mm-hmm. occupation, the occupation is bad for Israel and Palestine, by the way. It's hor- It's a horrible thing for both of them. It, it's not a sustainable um, model moving forward. It's completely untenable. What, what was your reaction when you heard about the uh, killing of uh, Shireen Abu Akla? I had her brother on a couple weeks ago. Uh, um, and, you know, she's an American citizen. I mean, forget about yeah. the Middle East for a second. Right. right? right. But. Uh, what was your reaction? Because I was shocked at how many members of Congress didn't want to get into that because of the explosive nature of the politics. It. So here's here's the thing, Ray. You should never, as, as a sitting member of Congress, you should never um, want your job more more than doing right. 
you should do right. That should be your first um, sentiment and inclination is to do the right thing. You shouldn't be uh, worried about keeping your job. If you're constantly worried about keeping your job, this is not a, a, a public service is not the right place for you because sometimes you have to do the right thing. And because a very powerful group doesn't like it, they, they can take you out. I mean, uh, look, there are, there, let's be clear, there are lots of uh, powerful groups that want me out because I have been very clear on uh, my uh, opinions in India, Syria, um, Palestine and Israel, um, you know, on the economy, on health care, like it goes on and on, right? I mean, there's no shortage of folks that um, want me to not have this job anymore um, that are powerful people, right? Um, so, um, so for me, you can't be afraid to do the right thing. The right thing is the right thing. And I, I think there was a famous uh, Chicago mayor who said good government was good politics. If you do the right thing, that's politics that is a winning, you know, strategy. How uh, I, I, some people, you know, I mean, I, when they look at the uh, Trump administration and the Biden administration, they still see that the Democrats generally um, maybe they're a little more lenient. They they're a little more positive in their rhetoric. Um, but outside of you and maybe about 25 other members of Congress, and I, I don't know, maybe it's more, um, it's still a small segment of the whole Congress and a small segment of the Democratic Party that is willing to have the courage the way you do to say these issues that need to be addressed. Well, um, I think it has become a larger group. So I'll give you an example. A year and a half ago, I led a letter um, that um, identified um, the, the horrors going on in Sheikh Sharaf, right? right. Uh, and, you know, I was told, well, Marie, you'll probably only get 90% numbers on it. And, you know, I did this super crazy thing. I walked down the hallway and started talking to people and saying, please listen to me. <laughs> and scared what was really happening. And you know what? People at, are good at their heart, right? They really are. Most people, 99% of people are really good. And once they really understood that issue, we got 26 people to sign on that letter that had never even thought about this issue before. So I think that it is that number is changing and growing, A. And B, remember, people, and this has been studied time and time again most recently, is that people under 45 have a very different opinion of the Israeli government than people over 45. And I've got news, those 45-year-olds get a year older every year. <laughs> so so I suggest everybody start looking at this with a real set of eyes instead of uh, blinders. And uh, just one last question on the Middle East. Um, uh, what do you think is the solution? Uh, are you optimistic about there being peace between Israelis and Palestinians? Yeah. Uh, is it so bad that it needs more time? What do you What do you think needs to happen? And can the administration do anything yeah, to I mean, push that along? It's all about will, right? Like I, I, we could go in and start peace talks around, and and it would take some finessing, right? It's because there are many members of. Uh, Palestine's various areas that would have to be represented because there's not just one government entity there. Um, <laughs> with regard to Israel, um, we would have to get them to the table, right? But here's what is most important is I'm never a fan of forcing um, what someone's governmental model should be. So whether they cho choose a, we getting them together as the main, convening the stakeholders is our job, the U.S.'s job. If they choose a one-state option, a two-state option, a federated model, a Belgian model, like whatever they choose, I'm okay with because they chose it as a team. 
So let's let the people that live in the place decide. Let's not, you know, I shouldn't be deciding for them. And the, the American government should not be deciding for them. But it is our job as the leader of the free world to bring them together and to have peace talks and help them get to a place where both can live freely, equally and in justice. Do you think the U.S., uh, the government, the U.S. has the will to do that? Because I agree with you that I think that is the proper way to deal with this, not to impose something, but to create the environment where they can actually come together and in a peaceful way yeah. uh, guarantee each other's security and respect each other. Does the government have the will to do that, though, today, our government? Yeah, I I wish I the answer was yes, Ray. I just don't think it's there. I think that, that it's not a priority for them. And as much as I scream about it, um, Rashida screams about it, Ilhan, you know, there's there's 10 of us that talk to um, the, the State Department regularly about this, and it is um, not been prioritized. Um, so, um, but that doesn't we fight, we fight, we fight, because every fight starts with um, one person and then it grows to 10 and then it grows to 1,000. And, you know, so we have to fight. Now, and, you know, I'll probably write a story about that aspect of it. So in fairness, I mean, you're, you're not really attacking Biden, but you're just when, when it comes to the Middle East, yeah, you're I, saying the will needs to be stronger. Is that correct? This is, let's be very clear. This is additive. Has he done some great things um, with foreign policy? Is he handling Ukraine well? All of those things. But when it comes to Israel and Palestine, they just, we are very conflict averse because uh, Israel is a close ally of ours and it should remain a close ally of ours. But let's be clear. So this is additive. It's not critical. I'm saying now is the time to start addressing this issue. Add, add it to the top of your priority list. It's additive. All right. That, that's very helpful. Let me shift. To some of the I mean, the Middle East dominated a lot of our topic, but um, and I appreciate your time. And I know that uh, I'm cutting into a little bit longer than what I had hoped uh, that you had been told. I got on a few minutes late, so I owe you four minutes for sure. All right. Well, you're you're very generous. I appreciate that. Tell me what are the biggest issues in this new sixth district? What What yeah. is it that people want? What do you hear them telling you? And what are you hoping to do about that? Yeah, I think it's about um, everybody's rights. So you likely know, uh, Ray, that I'm former uh, Moms Demand Action um, spokesperson here in Illinois. I've been working in gun safety for 25 years at least and have um, I've actually worked with Moms Demand. We've advocated we've gotten four laws passed in Illinois. So I passed laws before I got to Congress. Right. Um, and. Um, you know, in the uh, women's rights space, I've been doing that for easily 30 years. I helped bring reproductive care to the West Loop when there was none. Um, I've been fighting for pay equity, um, you know, uh, economic issues for women and on and on for 30 years. And I think more than anything else, people want their rights protected. Because remember, if Roe overturns that, yes, that's horrifying. But what it does is it expunges um, women out of the economy and out of society, because if we can't have domain over our bodies, then we uh, we are losing our rights in many ways, our right to be in leadership positions, our right to be in the economy, our right to be in Congress. Like, let's be clear, like they're trying to expunge us from everywhere and they being conservatives is who I'm saying they is. Um, so I think the big deal in this race is uh, people want every a, a fighter, someone who really and someone with the lived experience. I've lived 
um, in every part of the district I've lived in, you know, Beverly, Palos Park, LaGrange, Glen Ellen, Lombard, and Burr Ridge, right? I've lived everywhere. I know the district. I have the lived experience. I scrub tables and floors to get through college. I understand what it's like to go without health care. So um, everybody's rights, um, we need a fighter in the district. And then we also need someone who has that lived experience and understands it. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of issues. People want, you know, to fight for um, universal health care. I have a background in universal health care. I worked on it for 20 years. So um, I think people want experience. And then finally, I think they want results. I've brought $300 million to this district, um, which is a historical record in a year and a half. And so, um, and solved a lot of problems on the ground. So it's, you know, rights and, you know, top issues like health care, um, bringing cost of living down. Um, and making sure that um, you bring results to the district and convening people. I think our, our model of convening people to solve problems is greatly appreciated. Any final thoughts at all, Marie? I mean, I, I, again, it's very generous of you to come on the show. Um, I think you've been very courageous in terms of addressing the issues that need to be addressed. Uh, it's not an easy thing, you know, not because people in the community don't support it, but because the sometimes the media... I, I'm not trying to tell you that I don't want you to embrace what I believe. I think the media sometimes is very unfair when it comes to the Middle East and they don't give us uh, uh, proper uh, uh, coverage. But is there anything else that you want voters to hear about you that you yeah. think is most important? Yeah, I think it's most important that, um, you know, we work together. I've said this since 2017 when I first ran that um, what's most important is that um, you reflect the lived experience of the district and you have the lived experience. I was born, raised, and have always lived here and have always worked in community service. And so I think you want someone that can bring those problems, problem solve here, and then go pass laws that will solve the problem for the district as well as everybody in America. And I think it comes down to that, it being that simple. So um, I appreciate your work in the community, Ray, um, bringing these issues to light because this is about education. And remember, you are you are helping your colleagues too. Your colleagues don't understand um, the the issues in India and the Middle East, um, and some of these kind of economic issues around small business. I think that you're really good about shining a light on those things. So thank you for your community service. Well, I I, I didn't know you the first time you ran. I got to know you the second time you you've run. I've really come to appreciate you this time far more than I did originally. I. You know, the world changes, but you always leave the door open because it's always surprising that people find out that someone that you thought was an enemy um, really isn't. It's just their alliances, friendships. And uh, but I think you're doing a great job and uh, we're going to look to see how things, uh, you know, turn out June 28th. We wish you the best for the Democratic primary. And uh, I just want to thank you for coming on board. Well, thank you very much. And have a great day and tell your viewers. Thank you. We'll do that. Well, they'll hear it. Okay. They'll hear it directly from you. Congressman, Congresswoman uh, Marie Newman, our guest, uh, she's running in the 6th District in the June 28th Democratic primary. Thank you so much, Congresswoman. You bet. Take care. All right. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, um, you know, I'm hoping to have another guest who is going to join me to talk about Biden's trip to the Middle East, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. But I have another guest lined up and I'm going to reach out to her right now. But let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I think we're going to kind of take a little preview of the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee's uh, convention that's going to take place this weekend. I'm Ray Hanania. 
We'll be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Imagine you're on a train track. Somewhere miles away, a train is headed your way. You can't see it yet, but it's coming. Slowly but surely. If you have prediabetes or you're at risk for type 2 diabetes, you may be on the wrong track, and diabetes could be heading your way. Bit by bit, the danger is getting closer and closer. So should you stay on the track you're on now or move to make a change and reduce your risk? If you have prediabetes or you're at risk for type 2 diabetes, you may qualify for the National Diabetes Prevention Program in your local community. This one-year program could be the ongoing support you need to put you on the right track. Not only did participants lose weight, they cut their risk of type 2 diabetes in half. Ready to get on board for a healthier future? Learn more about the National Diabetes Prevention Program and what else you can do to manage and prevent diabetes at michigan.gov diabetes. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Live performances. Concerts. Music festivals. And hot jazz. Moments like these are made possible by the COVID-19 vaccine. So let's work together to continue to be safe and protect each other. Keep those concerts going. Keep the togetherness going by keeping yourself protected and your COVID-19 vaccines up to date. To find your vaccine and learn more, visit michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Are your hands feeling numb? Do you feel pain opening up a jar, turning a key? Are you noticing that your elbow and your shoulder are becoming stiff? Or were you recently injured in your arm? Hello, I'm Dr. Albajit Katranji, and at the Katranji Hand Center, which just recently opened down the street from the Somerset Mall, we can provide you with the latest in hand, wrist, elbow, and shoulder care. Visit us at www.katranjihandcenter.com to learn the latest techniques that we have to offer you, and I look forward to taking care of you. Visit us in Troy at 1565 West Big Beaver Road, Building F, or call Katranji Hand Center for an appointment at 248-869-4263. That's 248-869-4263. Get ready for an amazing experience at Ishtar Restaurant on 15 Mile Road in Sterling Heights. Enjoy excellent hospitality from owners Ali al-Baghdadi and Fatty Bonham serving the best in Mediterranean food. Try Chef Ali al-Baghdadi's famous shawarma, the best Iraqi grills and food, and the best Arabic and international dishes. Dine in our authentic atmosphere or take out. Call 586-698-2585 or check us out on Facebook. Ishtar Restaurant practices all seat guidelines and is open every day 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Have an amazing experience today at Ishtar Restaurant, 3625 15 Mile Road, Sterling Heights. 
The Ray Hanania Show is brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News Newspaper, the Middle East's leading English language publication with print and online editions in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, France, Japan, Pakistan, England, and the United States. Listen to live radio every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern in Detroit, Washington, D.C., New York, and Ontario, Canada. Or watch the live broadcast on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. The Ray Hanania Show is rebroadcast in Chicago at 12 noon on Thursday. For more information on the radio stations, live Facebook broadcast, and podcasts, visit ArabNews.com. And now, here's your host, columnist and U.S. Special Correspondent for Arab News, Ray Hanania. And welcome back to the program. Uh, I have a great guest on who uh, was kind enough to join us. Uh, we had another guest that was going to talk about the Middle East, but uh, we have this big event coming up this weekend. And, and, I, and I, I will say that I think the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee is the most important organization for Arab Americans in this country. And I'm biased because I was there when it was founded um, many, many years ago. I'm, you know, so when they say I'm a veteran, you're really talking about old age. But I'm lucky to have Janan Shabbat on, who is the national organizer for ADC. Um, Janan, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Yeah, I listen, I love ADC <laughs> and I, I want to do whatever I can to help them. And I know you got a big conference coming up give us first of all give us a little overview um about the conference and then maybe if we have some time tell us a little bit if you can about the situation facing arab americans in terms of discrimination but tell us about this conference what what could conference goers expect when they uh mm -hmm. attend okay great um so yeah so we are really excited because this is the first conference that we're doing in two years because of the pandemic so we had to put all of our in-person events on hold. So we're really excited to welcome everyone back to Washington, D.C. this weekend. Um, you know, the ADC convention is something that I remember going to when I was in college. So it's something I feel like is a rite of passage for a lot of Arab Americans. There's always wonderful panels with a lot of very, you know, smart speakers. We have academics and we have, you know, a lot of professionals and activists who are coming to discuss a lot of subjects that are extremely important for our community um today it's all very relevant um and so we're kicking it off friday with our opening reception which is something that's just a little bit laid back just getting everyone together who's coming in for the convention um enjoying good food uh some good music and just kind of hanging out saturday morning we're kicking off with our first panel that's on social media censorship uh which we know that that has become a very big issue it is um focusing specifically on the censorship of uh, people who post about Palestine, um, especially on Instagram and Facebook. We've seen uh, in the last year specifically things like shadow banning, things of uh, losing followers um, and, and seeing posts taken down because they violate specific terms and conditions uh, with no real explanation. And right. so we know that that is something that's very important. So we have quite a few experts that are gonna be speaking on that panel. Uh, with us and we all know that you know free speech is protected under the First Amendment and that's one of the things ADC is working on um, that's one of the things that's part of our mission it's very important for us that people are able to say and do anything that is protected under the Constitution 
Uh, the next panel that we're going to be doing is more youth-centered. So we've seen an emergence of new youth activists. You were there when ADC started. I am also a veteran. I like to think I was sorts. a youth at one time, but yeah, <laughs> we're talking about 19, I can't remember, was it 80 or 80, 81? Yes, yeah, 1980. It. it was like, wow. All right. Yeah. Well, I am no longer a youth. I may you look are. like it, but age-wise, You're I am okay. not. There is another generation now that is actually doing a lot of grassroots work, very different from the kind of activism that we've all done over the years. Um, and so we're bringing them in to discuss not only how they are working on issues such as Palestine and other coalition issues such as Black Lives Matter, climate justice, but we're also going to talk about um, how intersectional activism is working for them and why it's important that we are now all working together on all of our issues versus just being centered on our own issue. Um, and so that one, we have quite a few activists from the DMV area, one of them who is a chef and does the activism through their cooking um, and, and promoting their Palestinian food as a form of activism. Uh, so we're very excited for that. We're also doing a working lunch session on our legislative and policy updates. So we hired a new policy coordinator in the last year who has been working with the Hill and a lot of our offices on the Hill, a lot of your representatives and senators on issues that affect the Arab American community, things that are important to us, such as Palestine, but also other things such as like healthcare access, you know, um, social justice, census representation, uh, as well as minority business uh, designation for Arab American um, businesses, which we all know Arabs are very big in business. My dad had his own businesses for over, you know, 30, 35 years. Um, and that actually is going to lead into our panel after lunch, where we are going to talk about the economic impacts on Arab businesses, um, especially with inflation, especially with non-designation as a minority. How can we access the resources um, that the government gives out to minorities, right? Arab Americans are routinely left out of a lot of these programs because we are not considered our own category. We are considered white. Um, and so we don't get any special access. So we're gonna be discussing that. And our last panel of the day, which I believe is probably one of the most important ones, we're gonna discuss the new um, Israeli Kogut guidelines for traveling to Palestine, specifically the West Bank. We know that they are implementing new policies starting in July. We have had so many people reach out to our organization asking us questions. We hosted a webinar about a month ago, but the information was very preliminary. We know a little bit more now. And so we are hoping to share that information with the community to give people a little bit of reassurance and, and, and update them on the news as we get it. So. That is all the panels for the day. And then obviously at the end of the day, we are going to conclude with our gala, which we typically award Arab Americans uh, in a lot of different fields for all of the work that they're doing. We're very excited. We have an amazing lineup of awardees like Leila Fadil, who works at NPR and is a journalist. We also have Dr. Jihan Bayoumi, who's in DC and works with underserved communities to give them access to healthcare. And we are presenting Amnesty International USA with the Voices of Courage Award for all of their work on the apartheid report that was released earlier this year. Um, so it, we've got it's amazing, an amazing lineup. It's amazing to me that, and I think you have uh, Father Atawahana also as one of the keynote speakers, I think. So the, we were going to bring him, but unfortunately uh, he couldn't make it. Yeah, that that's one of the sad parts about this 
deal with Israel's government. And I yeah. was just talking to the former uh, with uh, Congresswoman uh, Marie Newman. I said, you know, when I criticize Israel, I don't criticize Jewish people. I criticize a government. Exactly. I can criticize my government. Nobody calls me bad names, but you call you criticize that government. And suddenly you're like the worst person in the world. How exactly. bad is it for Arabs in the United States? And ADC is so important because I know that you're the barometer. You ma manage and oversee what our situation is. Are things better? They are they as an uh, up and down, you know, situation. What What's our status today? How how are things? I, I will say that it's still pretty bad for Arab Americans. I mean, we have seen an influx in a lot of discrimination in academia specifically for a lot of students. Uh, we get students that reach out to us all the time who are being censored for speaking up for Palestine. Uh, we also are seeing a lot of people discriminated against at work. Uh, we have people who have been let go of their jobs, who have been reprimanded at work, uh, simply just for speaking on Palestine. Um, obviously, immigration is still a very big issue for our community. Specifically, after the blast in Lebanon in 2020, we worked on temporary protected status for, you know, Lebanese um, people who were coming to the United States. Uh, we're still working on temporary protected status for people from Yemen, people from um, Syria, uh, Sudan. Um, and so a lot of these things are still affecting our community, regardless of who is in office uh, at the White House. It doesn't make a difference because these immigration policies take years to unravel once a policy has been put in place. Um, and so we're, our legal team is continuously working on asylum seekers, on like visa lottery winners and trying to get people here uh, into safety. Um, and, you know, we still have a lot of people who, you know, there's still the media portrayals of Arabs is, is really not that much better than when ADC was started. We know that that was one of the big issues that ADC worked on back in the day. But we still see movies where they are still putting Arabs as the bad right. guys or, or making them look, you know, uh, like, you know, the, the shifty ones, the ones who are causing the problems. And so even the news, the news is not really relaying the information the way that they should be. And so that's something that we continue to battle every single day. Do you see a factor that kind of uh, drives the fact that um, that the, the, the discrimination today is really very similar to what what I went through back in the 60s and 70s? I, I you know, I served during the Vietnam War. As soon as I got out, the FBI investigated me for two years hmm. because they said, oh, you wrote a letter to Time magazine, you know, demanding Palestinian rights. Um, it, it hasn't changed, has it? And but what is it about it that doesn't allow what is it? What's the obstacle that we're fighting, do you think, that's preventing this from getting better in a significant way? Well, I think policies don't help us. Right. There's policies that are in place that don't help us. But honestly, the biggest factor is the fact that Arabs are not considered a minority. So we've never been given protected status. When it comes to that, and if you look at other communities like the Asian American community, the Latino community, the black community, they have always had policies put in place to protect them. They've had affirmative action, not to say that their rights are there and that they are experiencing a, you know, problem free life. They're not obviously right, but it's very hard for us to fight on behalf of our image if our image is seen 
federally as white, you know? And so you can't push back on a lot of things because you're not seen as someone who needs that protection. Yeah, every uh, other every other minority group uh, gets support th- from the government, mm-hmm. but it's all uh, it's all driven through the part uh, identification in the U.S. Census. It's, yes, uh, and I agree with you. I know there's a uh, state rep in Illinois, uh, Cyril Nichols, who introduced a uh, legislation to uh, recognize Arab Americans as a minority so that they could qualify for the contracts. We pay our taxes. We don't get any of it back to build our own organizations, Mm -hmm. to help our groups. No money for culture, no money for all that stuff. It's almost like if they pretend you don't exist, they don't have to give you anything. And it makes it a hundred times harder for us to fight for our rights. Yes, absolutely. But I will say, though, that there are things that are changing and organizations like ADC do have a purpose. It's not like we're just here and nothing's getting done. No, you guys are phenomenal. Uh, You guys are phenomenal. But it's changing and social media is a big aspect of that. I mean, it's very hard to ignore things when you're seeing it in your face every single day. People have different sources of news. They're not just looking on the TV and, you know, they're able to listen into things like this or other podcasts and they're able to also follow certain, you know, social media accounts and get the information that they need. Um, And we are, like I said, moving towards a time now where we're working with other groups and other minorities on our issues, because a lot of the baseline foundations of the issues that we're dealing with are pretty much the same. And so we've noticed like a strength in numbers. And so we work with each other, we learn from each other. um, And I think that that has been helping a lot. And, you know, we have seen the needle shift a lot on Palestine. I mean, obviously, Congresswoman Newman is a huge ally and I've heard her speak many times in DC and she's absolutely wonderful. And it's nice that we have, you know, Congress members now who are able to speak up on the Hill because five years ago we didn't have that. We, we need a stronger media to help not only uh, people like Marie Newman, but organizations like your own that we, our network is weak, I think, and we need to build on it. Um, listen, I want to thank you, Janan Shabbat. Uh, she's the national uh, organizer for the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee. The website is adc.org, O-R-G. So if people want to register, they can still register for the conference. Absolutely. Yep. Registration will be open through tomorrow. So And it's this Friday. DMV. It's mm-hmm. this Friday and Saturday. Yes. The big dinner is Saturday night. Absolutely. Yep. All you right. can also come just to the dinner as well if you'd like. All right. And I, I'm not able to get there. This is one of the few times that... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to miss this, and uh, uh, but I will be covering it. I, I, I give my regards to Samar uh, Caliph and Abed Ayub and everybody over at ADC. You Thank guys you. are a great bunch of people, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about what's coming up this weekend. Absolutely. Right? My pleasure. Thank you, Janan. Thank and you. I, and I'm Ray Hanania, everybody. I want to thank everybody for listening to our radio show. Uh, it is rebroadcast in Detroit tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. on Thursday, and it's broadcast in uh, Chicago at 12 noon. And we will uh, uh, distribute the streaming video of the program uh, so that you can hear and listen to both our guests. Um, Janan, again, thank you so much. And everybody, thank you for listening. We will talk to you next Wednesday when we have another episode of the Ray Hanania Radio Show. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you.